Welcome to the Single Greatest Choice Podcast, where single women find support, empowerment, information, and inspiration around the topics of singleness, fertility, motherhood, and mindset. I'm your host, Katie B., and I'm thrilled to be back to share more stories of women like you and me who are navigating these choices, along with interviews with experts in the fields of fertility preservation, coaching, and psychology. Whether you're just starting to question what to do about your finite fertility, or whether you're ready to make the leap into solo motherhood by choice, I hope these conversations will help you to feel more supported and confident along the way. Because whatever you decide to do with these years could be the single greatest choice you'll ever make, and you don't have to make it alone. friends. In this episode, I'm trying something new. I asked listeners to send in audio files telling a little bit about their process of choosing a donor, um, connecting with donor siblings, anything to do with the topic of donors, since that's what I've been talking about recently on the podcast. And I am so thankful for those of you who sent in your stories. And I know there were others who are interested. I'm happy to do this again if more people want to share or have different angles that are not covered here on the podcast. Um, Today we have five stories from five different women. And I think that you'll hear some common threads among them and also just some unique perspectives. So I'm really excited to share these with you. Our first story comes from Megan. And I really related to Megan. She started with a lot of logic as you hear her kind of parse through what was important to her, um, but in the end just really ended up leaning on her intuition. I really relate to that. We had kind of different priorities in terms of what was most important to us, but seems like a very similar thought process as we moved through. So let's go ahead and hear our story from Megan. So when it came time for me to choose my donor, I was actually really frustrated with the online dating world, seeing profiles and meeting guys and the connection not being there or them being kind of different than what they portrayed in their profile profile. And so I thought choosing a donor should be actually a lot of fun because I can then look at a profile and I don't need to meet the person and I can just kind of in my mind picture them as that profile. And I, you know, thought I would have kind of a blast looking through them and figuring out which donor I was going to choose. But in the end, I actually found it quite overwhelming because there are so many websites and so many donors. And, you know, I was saying to some of my friends, this feels like it could be a full-time job trying to find a donor. I had one acquaintance who had chosen a known donor and I didn't have any people that I was aware of that I wanted to choose a known donor. So I went the unknown donor route. When I was feeling really overwhelmed with the decision and not knowing which websites to look at and how to narrow down the search, I didn't have time on top of my full-time job to be spending as long as it felt like I needed to spend on finding a donor. But obviously this is a huge decision and a really important part of my single choice mom journey. So I actually spoke with a family friend who has a daughter from a sperm and an egg donor, and I asked her what she did in addition to listening to some podcasts and kind of getting some ideas from other women. But my family friend said she printed out the profiles she liked and she categorized them all in a binder and she had this whole system and I thought, oh my God, I can't even picture myself doing that. So I'm a pretty organized person, but I definitely didn't want to spend the time or the energy doing that. So... I listened to a podcast. The lady had mentioned that she picked five of the top qualities that she wanted in a donor. And I thought that was a pretty kind of easy way for me to at least start narrowing down who I was going to pick. And so I picked the same hair color as me and same eye color, my height or taller. I know it's kind of a superficial thing to pick, but you know what? I played volleyball. I want a tall (laughs) 
adult kid to play sports. And then I wanted them to have an adult picture. And my fourth one, I was on the fence between picking a closed donor or an open donor. And I listened to a podcast and one of the ladies was talking about this and she said, you know what, in the end, the way that the world is going now with 23andMe and Ancestry.com, donors are probably going to be found out earlier than when the child is 18. And so if that person was an open donor from when they donated, they hopefully would be open to still meeting the child regardless of when it is that that interaction happens rather than a closed donor who obviously could change their mind in the future as they get older. But if they were closed at the beginning and really didn't want to be found out, you know, I didn't want my potential child to eventually come in contact with them or search them out and be able to find them and then risk them not being open to a connection. Ideally, I really wanted to give my child the choice if they wanted to reach out and find their donor when they were older, that they could do so. So I ended up picking an open donor. So I had those five criteria and I had been thinking about them for a while. And then my egg retrieval was going to be scheduled for April. And when it came to February, it was actually Valentine's Day during the pandemic. I wasn't really dating. It was the first year of the pandemic and I wasn't really seeing people. And I got myself a nice dinner. I sat down and I said, you know what, Valentine's Day, I'm going to spend time by myself picking my donor. And so I picked four of the websites that were kind of ones that I had browsed before. And I thought I'm going to sit down and I'm really going to go through every, I'm going to put my search criteria in and go through every single website and look at all of the profiles. I don't care how long it's going to take me this weekend, but I'm going to figure it out. And so I started going through the websites and I was favoriting, you know, certain profiles, but I was not really enthusiastic about the profiles that I was reading. Got through the first website and the second website and the third website. And then I got to the fourth website and I was feeling a little bit frustrated because I don't know, there were some good things in profiles. I started getting a little bit let down and kind of felt similar to this online dating world where I'm not meeting the right guy and I, you know, I wasn't finding the right profile. And I have a really strong intuition. And I got to the very last profile and I read it from start to finish. And there was something about that profile that just made sense to me and it felt right. And it felt like that was the right one. So I ended up reading the profile again to see if I had like made this up in my head and missed any red flags. But I read the profile again and really felt connected to it. And so I chose the profile. I sent the company who ships to Canada an email and I said, you know, this is the donor that I want. And I felt at peace with the decision, you know, whereas hours prior, I was getting really frustrated and a little bit deflated. So that felt really good to make that decision. And then when I found out that that donor was still available, I was shocked because to me, he seemed like the perfect donor. And one other thing actually that I was surprised about, this donor did not have an adult photo. And that was a big thing to me because I wanted to be able to see what they look like you know, now. In the end, I think I was okay with it because of sharing similar professions and understanding that with the world of social media, you know, a donor might not want their adult picture out there. So one of the five criteria kind of fell to the wayside. I picked the profile that felt right. And then once I found out that the donor was available, I had a 
dinner at my parents with my brother and his girlfriend and my parents and I said to them you know what guys I found my donor and this was really fairly new into the process of my family understanding that this was the decision I was making and the choice I was going to pursue and so we sat at dinner and I read the profile to them and they were just shocked at the amount of information that I knew about this person just through a website the way he answered questions his experiences in life, his energy, it really seemed like a great fit. And so when I shared it with my family, they felt the same way. And so put the order in and for my egg retrieval, I ended up with 10 embryos. I have seven left, had three failed transfers, unfortunately, but I feel like this is the right decision still. So I'm looking forward to my next transfer and everything about choosing the donor from the minute I decided I've never looked back and felt otherwise. So I think the biggest thing that I can say is just trust your gut, trust your intuition and pick some of the most important qualities that you want in someone with regards to if it's looks, if it's personality. For me, it was more I wanted my child to look like me. And so that's what I went after because I think a lot about somebody's personality can be shaped by their environment and their relationships with others and their upbringing. So, um, yeah. Thanks so much for sharing your process with us, Megan. Our next story is going to be from Melissa. I also really related to Melissa and the way that she also trusted her gut. That seems to be a big theme in the donor selection process is just kind of looking for that donor that just feels right. And Melissa is also the first person I've ever heard talk about a feeling of regret post-transfer or post, for me it was post-IUI, but regret specifically around the donor choice. That's not something I've heard a lot about, and so it was really comforting. I'm sorry, of course, Melissa, that you had to go through that, but it was comforting to me to hear someone else talk about that just because it's something that I also experienced in my journey. And as you'll hear in Melissa's story, everything worked out well in the end. So here is Melissa's story. Like anything in life, I tend to rely on my gut instinct. Don't get me wrong, it takes me a long time to make up my mind to do anything. In fact, I was in the thinking phase of becoming a single mom by choice for many years before I decided to take the plunge. It was my mid-30s, I think, that I thought about becoming a single mother by choice by way of donor conception. I ran the idea past my family, my mother, who was so excited to become a grandmother, was all over it. And the rest of my family, not so much. They found it suspicious. Why didn't I wait for Prince Charming to come along? Or what else was wrong with me? I didn't mind. Some way in my heart, I knew this was the path to my parenthood. It wasn't until I was 37 and my mother had passed away that I thought it was really time to get on with my life and start a family of my own. I know that she would have loved a grandchild, and I missed her very much, but it was time for me to have my own children. By 39, I started out on my path to choose a donor. I remember the first time I looked through the online catalog of donors, and I felt somewhat weird. It was reminiscent of the internet dating I had done in the past. Do I choose someone I'm attracted to? What qualities am I actually looking for? Should I ask a friend? Should I not ask a friend? I slammed the computer shut immediately and revisited it a few days later. I thought, okay, uh, this is the way it's going to be done, so what's important to me? I put all of the weird feelings aside because to me it felt really weird and unnatural to choose a donor or the biological half of my child this way. But... 
the more I spoke to other single mothers by choice, the more it became the norm. I trusted my gut. I looked at a few, I'm not a big window shopper by nature. (laughs) So I looked at a few profiles and I looked at a few photos and I kind of just went inside my body to see how it sat with me, to see how it felt. Did this person have the qualities that I was looking for in an offspring? Kindness, compassion, intelligence. Did that come through in the profile? For many of them, it was a definite no right at the beginning. Either they just didn't resonate with me or I didn't feel it. But the couple that were intriguing, I set aside. I did ask friends' opinion, but in the end, it didn't really matter much. The first donor I chose was kind. He talked a lot about his family and all of his sisters and his brothers and family means a lot to me. And that was why I ended up choosing donor number one. Unfortunately, that didn't end in a positive direction. So I had to go about and look at other means. 39 was when I had my first miscarriage with donor number one. I was 12 weeks along. It took me a while to get back in the saddle again. And after I was ready enough, um, my doctor told me that I might have better luck using donated embryos and eggs. I searched high and low for donors, known donors in the States, egg donors, sperm donors separately, and I decided to do a double embryo adoption abroad that was anonymous. The day I arrived for my embryo at the clinic, I sat there and my gut was telling me something else. It was saying, is this the right thing to do for me? And I wish I would have listened to it. I went through with the double embryo transplant, double donor anonymous. And the next day, I completely panicked. I stayed in bed all day. I thought, what did I just do? I never thought about the repercussions of explaining um, biological heritage to my child in the future. Who were his parents or her parents? I didn't know, and it didn't sit well with me. I felt like I had made a big, big mistake. Unfortunately for me, this did not result in a pregnancy, but it did lead me to choose an open ID donor when the clinic called a few months later to tell me I was approved for a funded IVF transfer with my own eggs. Again, I went through the process of searching online catalogs and I landed on a donor from Fairfax. This time, it was about what other people said about the donor that mattered. It was about how he made everyone feel good when he walked into the room. He was uplifting. He was very kind and sincere. And I really liked that. His photos were, you know, helpful as well. He had a full set of child and adult photos and they were open to viewing. And he wasn't someone who I would fall in love with and want to marry, but he was definitely someone who I would love to be the biological half of my future child. So I went forward with my first IVF treatment and retrieval. I was successful on a fresh transfer. After eight or nine fertility treatments, I had found the donor that is to be my now three-and-a-half-year-old son's biological father. This was a life-changing experience for me. The whole concept of donor conception changed our lives forever. 
I knew it was an important thing for me to continue the conversation. So I did write a book explaining donor conception for those who have questions for me and my child in the future. And it's a children's book for donor conceived children, for parents to better explain this to their children, and for friends and relatives to grasp the real meaning of what it means to have a biological donor that's out there somewhere. This February, my book launched on Amazon. It's called Mimi the Solo Magician Mom and Cameron. It's a donor conception story, obviously, that deals with sperm donation, but it's relevant for all types of donor conception and all types of families. Also speaks to different family situations, and I hope it really helps people connect the dots that there are modern families being made in every way possible now and non-traditional families are becoming normal people aren't less than this is just who we are and uh, the hero of the story his name is cameron is a curious and fun little boy who is just like any other little boy donor conceived or not donor conceived he is Someone who has many interests in having a biological father who is not known to him at this time is something that makes Cameron unique, but it's not everything. When you're searching for your donor, you have to trust your gut. I went trusting, not trusting, and trusting. And I can tell you what you feel is right for you and your family makes all the difference. Thank you. Thanks so much for sharing your story, Melissa. And thanks also for both writing and sharing the information about the book um, that you've created that is such a wonderful resource for those of us with donor-conceived children who are looking for ways to start that conversation with them. So I hope lots of listeners will order Melissa's book. Our next storyteller is Michelle. Michelle had a very practical way of approaching choosing her donor after she sadly lost her husband and chose to move forward becoming a single mother by choice. Something that I really relate to in Michelle's audio clip is her struggle with trying to wrap her mind around the idea of donor siblings. That was also something that was really hard for me to kind of come to terms with what that would really mean for my child or how that would practically be a part of his life. And so I really resonate with her hesitation to choose a donor that has reported pregnancies. Obviously, I I did choose a donor who had reported pregnancies, and there are far more than I had bargained for, but it has turned out to be one of the best parts of this journey if you've listened to the previous two podcast episodes. But I think that we all kind of have a moment where we have to come to terms with that part of our child's story looking very different than if they had been conceived in a more traditional manner. So thanks so much, Michelle, for sharing your story. And here's Michelle. Hi there, my name is Michelle and I am going to talk about how I chose my donor. First of all, I am in the trying phase of becoming a single mother by choice. I was unfortunately widowed last year, February of 21, and my late husband and I were trying to conceive and this just seemed like the right path for me. First of all, what I was looking at, you know, physical description, race and ethnicity and height. Um, I am an average height, you know, about 5'7", so I wanted to see if there was somebody that could make my child a little bit taller than that, especially if it was a male. I was going through Seattle Sperm Bank through my specific doctor, so there were about 52 donors total that were available to me. 
One thing that became important that I didn't think was going to be too important was my CMV status. I ended up being CMV negative, so therefore my donor had to be CMV negative. And before I got the results for that test, I had a list of about 10 donors that were like my top 10 and CMV negative status chopped eight of those donors off of the list because of my status. So I then had to go back and reevaluate and think about what was, you know, important from there. As far as race and ethnicity, hair color and description, I was looking for a Caucasian donor. I not intentionally kind of chose a donor. My top donor looked similar to my late husband. So I don't know if that was, you know, an unconscious choice or not. Not sure how that happened, but that is that is how it happened. So after I found out the CMV status and I kind of had got down to the nitty gritty so that I could get down to like a top three choices. So once I filtered out for race and ethnicity, hair color and description, the next thing that was super important to me was the family medical history of the donor. I have a lot of cancer in my family, most specifically breast cancer. So if the mother of the donor also had breast cancer, I still put them on my list, but lower on my list because I just wanted to minimize that as much as possible. So that was super important to me. And then the donors on Seattle Sperm Bank could write an essay and like answer short answer questions. I did look at that and some of them had a voice recording. So that honestly went into play a little bit. Another thing that ended up being pretty important to me that I didn't think was going to be as important was if the donor had any known children already. I ended up choosing a donor that did not have any known children yet. And I chose that because I know that that will be difficult to navigate in the future. And I just felt that going into it, knowing that there is already a potential half sibling out there, just kind of, I don't know, boggled my brain a little bit. I know that that is something that could still happen and you know it's kind of likely that it it might but i wanted to again have i don't know fewer relationships that we might have to navigate in the future with my child and just a little bit less to deal with and then a major factor when it came down to picking my top donors based on the things i mentioned came down to how many vials were honestly available from my donor. If there was a donor that only had one vial available, I took that off the list just because it was a difficult process going through all of the donors and it was very unlikely that one vial was going to work. So I just didn't want to use that one vial, have it not take, and then have to start the process over again. So I ended up choosing a donor that had five vials available and I purchased all five of them. I also wanted to have some vials available for a 
sibling in the future to be able to try with the same sperm so that they could be fully genetically related, the two siblings. I hope that works out. I have used one vial that did not take and then I am waiting right now currently to find out if the second vial took. So right now I have three vials left available and Hopefully this one causes me to be pregnant. I will have three vials left of the same donor for another future child, for a future sibling. Some things, you know, I definitely thought were going to be more important than others and turned out not to be and vice versa. Some that I didn't necessarily think about, but then when it came down to it seemed very important at the time. My donor did end up testing, my top choice did end up testing positive for a genetic disorder, but I tested negative for that genetic disorder. So he was still a match and we could still move forward with him. So the donor that I chose will hopefully provide me with a child, you know, here now or in the near future and potentially another child in the future of that as well was definitely not an easy choice. I did have friends give their input and listened to podcasts and stuff that kind of talked about other people's donor choices. I think that was super helpful. There were a lot of things that I learned from other people that I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that is important. Or, okay, yeah, maybe I don't need to focus so much on that. And then just having my friends go through it, it was just kind of I don't know, kind of a more fun thing with them. And it was helpful. You know, I still made my own choice and am very happy with still the choice that I made. So I hope that it will serve me well in the future. Thank you very much for listening. Our next audio clip comes from Hannah. Hannah is in Australia. And so it's great to get a different perspective of what it's like in a different country. Hannah chose a donor who has been used internationally. So there are donor siblings in various countries. And so Hannah talks a lot about donor siblings and what it's been like for her to try to track down all of the receiving families that share her donor. Thanks, Hannah, so much for sharing your story. So my journey with choosing a donor was quite straightforward. I had some personal um, preferences with my choices I wanted the donor to have similar features to my brother to keep my future child looking most like me and my family. Also, it was very important for me to focus on the donor's medical history and health along with family. Um, When I first was given the donor registry, I found it quite overwhelming when there was only 16 to choose from. After I took out all of the visually different background and ethical choices. I was only left with one. I printed this profile to have a look over and the next day when I returned, it had gone. So I was feeling a little bit let down. A lot of the profiles available had huge medical history um, with negative spin. Um, with lots of heart attacks, cancer, Crohn's disease, etc. So I was feeling a little put off knowing that these illnesses were in the families. The very next day I had another look and the perfect donor popped up. He looked like he could have been 
in my family, very similar to my brother. I had a quick look over all the family history and I was so thrilled. I just pressed the button and next minute I was closed out. Everything was straightforward on from here. Yeah, I found it a very quick process. I find it very um, intriguing looking into all of my daughter's donor siblings. Um, I have connected with many families now over the past 18 months. We had an online forum in which each family was given access to, which I found very clunky and very hard to navigate. So I took it upon myself to make a closed private Facebook group in which over the last 18 months, families have found us and have connected. It's absolutely incredible. I am based in Australia. I am the only Australian family in our private group, although there is quite a few, I think four or five other families in Australia that I know of. Uh, all the other families are in the States, Canada and UK. Another mother is also very enthusiastic about this, so we have started a spreadsheet compiling all the information of our little ones. We all share photos and little updates of the children. Uh, my daughter is one of 24 donor siblings, a beautiful group of children. I remember speaking to my fertility clinic and I was under the impression that the donor was only able to create 10 families. I later learnt once my daughter was born and I'd connected with another mother in the UK that it is 10 families per country I think hence why my daughter is one of 24 that we know of I have no idea how many other families could be out there I felt a little bit let down that they had given me that information when obviously it is a lot more families than I thought however is what it is now. This is one of my drives to find as many donor siblings as possible. I feel like it's important to know where they are and whom they are, sex and age for my daughter and her future um, with socialising, being out and about in life, being aware. I'll continue to research and connect with as many families as possible over the years. I find it yeah, very, very interesting and very comforting speaking to other mothers and families who have used the same donor who share a very special connection with my daughter. Our last audio clip today comes from Stacy, and I really appreciate Stacy's perspective because it's a little bit different than some that we've heard. Many women talk about wanting to choose a donor who looks like them or looks like their family so that they can pass down some of those traits. But what happens when your family has a very unique and mixed heritage and it's really tough to find a donor that matches or looks like you or has a similar background. And so Stacy just discusses some really unique considerations regarding preserving family heritage and background and really makes you think about how there are so many things that the industry of donor conception could do better and this is definitely one of them. So thank you Stacy for sharing your perspective. Hi Katie, my name is Stacy and I'm going to be 37 this coming weekend. I'm in my 13th week of my first pregnancy. I was lucky enough to get pregnant with my second round of IUI. I live in Hawaii. I was born and raised here. 
Um, I'm back home again, and there are no sperm banks in Hawaii. So I was looking at some of the sperm banks on the mainland, and like many people in Hawaii, I have a mixed ethnic background. My father is Japanese, and my mother is Caucasian, specifically Irish, a little bit of German, Scottish, and English, but mainly Irish. So when it came time to thinking about what kind of donor I would choose, I think like a lot of women, I wanted someone who maybe was like me. And, you know, a lot of folks in Hawaii who are half Japanese and half Caucasian, the local term for them is hapa, which literally means half. And a lot of hapa people look a lot alike, or, you know, there's just similar features, similar characteristics. You can say, oh, that person, they must be hapa, even if you don't know specifically what the mix is. Uh, But anyway, I was hoping to find someone like that as a donor, because then I thought, you know, my child would have just the higher likelihood of looking like me or like my family. So I ended up having kind of a difficult time. And part of it, I think, is because I'm CMV negative. And so once I knew that and narrowed down my donor search at the different sperm banks to CMV negative, it kind of narrowed down the pool of donors that I could choose from. And then when I was trying to look for someone who was mixed, first Japanese and white or Japanese and anything, and then really just broadened it out to sort of Asian and anything, you know, I was having a hard time. There are a lot of donors who are just Japanese or just Chinese or just Korean. There are definitely a lot of donors who are different types of Caucasian, you know, a lot of a lot of white guys. And I didn't want to, for some reason, you know, my my gut and everything just kept telling me, you know, I don't want one or the other. You know, it felt like choosing a side, I guess, of myself. And so I didn't want to do that. So I ended up looking probably for in total six months actively looking once I had the CMV status for maybe just a couple of those months. I ended up looking at one of the sperm banks and there wasn't, there was one donor who, um, you know, in the profile had some mix of Caucasian and then had listed Japanese. And so I thought, great. And I, you know, read the profile and part of it talked about how he had taken a trip to Japan with his mother when he was young. And so I was looking at his baby pictures or his toddler pictures and, you know, he looked just mostly white. Um, You know, he didn't look like he had a mix, but there it was on paper and there was this story about Japan. So I ended up paying the extra money so that I could hear the audio interviews and just see a lot more information. And in the audio interviews, they usually start by saying their donor number and then 
pretty quickly their ethnic background. And in the audio interview, he didn't mention Japanese. And throughout the questions and everything during the interview, you know, it never came up. So that was disappointing because I felt like there must be some mistake or, you know, maybe he just took a trip to Japan, but he's not actually part Japanese. So in any case, it was enough to sort of put doubt into my mind about his mixed background. So, you know, I didn't end up choosing that donor. So when I looked back at the pool, there wasn't anyone. I ended up not being able to find anyone who had a similar background to me, who had that Japanese and Caucasian mix. So instead... I was looking at the boxes that you can check for the ethnicities of the donors and this sperm bank just so happened to have Hawaiian as an option. And so being from Hawaii, I'm not native Hawaiian and there is a lot of sensitivity around the subject here, but I just kind of something in me said let's see so when i clicked that box there was one donor and he was cmv negative and he was you know negative as far as being a carrier for any type of those genetic things they screen for his pictures were really adorable and when i listened to his audio interview i burst into tears i was just overcome with emotion At the time when he made the donation, he was a student and he was thinking of becoming an environmental attorney. And I'm an attorney. I'm not an environmental attorney, but I'm an attorney. And there were, you know, some of his favorite movies he talked about, you know, and it might be the lawyer side of us, but um, he mentioned a favorite movie of his that's a really, it's sort of an older black and white, you know, not mainstream movie. And it is one of my two favorite all-time movies. And the fact that it's one of his two all-time favorite movies also just clicked with me. And he just sounded like a really nice guy. You know, the staff impressions of him were just glowing. And he ended up being a he has a very mixed background his father is dutch and irish and his mother is a mix of four things including hawaiian and so it made me feel like okay if i can't have my background at least this way it's just going to be a very 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 mixed bag and so yeah I think it really was the audio interview. I ended up listening to, I think, only three audio interviews in total. And I just didn't have the same reaction to the other two that I had to uh, my donor. And so while I looked through many more profiles that, you know, I just never made it to the audio interview portion, the ones that I made it all the way to that point for, I just really, really had a very strong visceral reaction to to him and I'm still very pleased with my choice of course I'm I haven't seen my child yet I'm so very curious I don't know whether I'm having a boy or a girl but 
in any case, that is my donor story. And I think it's interesting. And it's certainly not something that I've heard or was able to identify with with any of the other women that I'd heard from. So hopefully, if this makes it into the podcast, this is something that maybe some other women might identify with, or maybe even donors out there who maybe have a specific type of background, maybe not realizing how it might impact the field of donors to provide their sperm. Thank you for listening and allowing us to share these stories and take care. Thank you again so much to Megan, Melissa, Michelle, Hannah, and Stacy. I'm sure your stories have helped other women to feel less alone in their process of choosing a donor, and I'm sure that they've resonated with many of the listeners. So thank you so, so much for being willing to share and for taking the time to get it recorded. Listeners, I miss you. I love you. I hope to be making more podcasts soon. I am busily trying to schedule more group coaching. So if you're interested in group coaching, please reach out to me. And I've also got another interview coming up pretty soon, just as soon as I can get it edited with a lovely single mother by choice who has chosen a known donor. So we can talk a little bit about the ins and outs of that and the differences between choosing a known donor versus choosing a donor from one of the larger sperm banks. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you guys soon. Bye. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Single Greatest Choice podcast. I'm your host, Katie B. You can learn more about me, this podcast, and the Single Greatest Choice coaching at my website, www.singlegreatestchoice.com, or find me on Instagram at single underscore greatest underscore choice. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a minute to rate and review in iTunes. That helps more women to find our show. Until next time, I'm sending you all of my love and support as you go about making the choices that will create a life you love.